from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. You look at companies like Facebook and, and Snapchat and WhatsApp and all these companies were at one point invested in by, by VCs. Most VCs kind of invest in the same things over and over again. So the rule of thumb generally is of 30 companies in a portfolio, generally you'll have maybe one that goes uh, 100x in valuation return. It's fairly rare to be looking for uh, moonshots. 92-93% of partners of venture capital firms are men who are white. So do you see your job in part as letting people know, hey, we're here, you know, come to us, we want to invest in you. I'm Sarah Funsky. Venture capital firms play a key role in launching the next generation of businesses, but far too often they're investing in white-run companies. A recent study found that 78% of partners at firms earning VC funds in 2020 were white, 15% were Asian, just 3% were black. A St. Louis firm is doing its part to change that and put more money in the hands of diverse entrepreneurs. The partners at the helm of six-year-old Ascend Venture Capital are both racial minorities. And of its 18 portfolio companies, seven are led by underrepresented founders. That includes Lisa Morales-Hellebo. She is the CEO of Refashioned OS. That's a data and logistics startup aimed at helping fashion companies make their supply chain sustainable. Lisa learned the hard way that VC funding sometimes has very little to do with a company's growth potential. So my previous tech company, I had VCs say the craziest things to me. I'd walk into a room and the first thing out of their mouths would be something like, sweetheart, you're so pretty. You should just marry better like that Tory Burch. <laughs> and I'd say, well, how many male founders have you ever started a pitch conversation like that? I hope it's zero, and I'm embarrassed for you. So, you know, that is all too common, yes. But it's more a matter of these people just automatically discounting your value because you don't resonate with them. Now, Lisa Morales-Hellebo says Ascend is different, and the company is now launching a targeted opportunity fund that would invest additional funds beyond its normal levels. Lisa says that can make a huge difference for companies in their early stages. This venture community I've seen over my 27 years in tech tend to be followers, not leaders, not disruptors. They tend to look for signals and the same playbook and have a comfort level in their pattern matching. And what they're missing out on is massive. So I think that his impact fund is going to change the game for companies like my own and everyone else that is lucky enough to get this capital. And that is Lisa Morales-Hellebo. She's the CEO of Refashioned OS. And joining us now for more on Ascend and its new opportunity fund is Yinka Follity. He is the former Democratic nominee for Missouri Secretary of State. He's the former executive director of Forward Through Ferguson. And as of April, he is a partner in Ascend Venture Capital. Yinka, welcome back. Thank you, Sarah. Great to be here. And we're also joined today by Ascend's founder and general partner, Dan Connor. Dan, welcome. 
Thank you. It's great to be here with you. So, Dan, those stats that I quoted above, those those seem pretty sobering. Only 3% of these companies receiving VC funds have black founders, 78% white-owned. What's driving those massive disparities? Yeah, uh, first off, it's it's completely lamentable. The uh, We like to say around the office that, that no geography or demographic has a monopoly on brilliance. Uh, it crops up anywhere in any circles. And the fact that transformational businesses are getting started in these areas and are getting underfunded is is uh, terrible, and it has some very uh, systematic uh, implications. Uh, so the, there are three reasons why the, this situation tends to per, to perpetuate, I think. Uh, the first is pattern matching, as as Lisa was saying, as venture capitalists tend to do, and, and frankly, many investors outside of the private markets we tend to uh, seize past successes and attribute certain uh, attributes to those and then try and look for the same situations in the future. Um, and that just tends to lead to making the same investments over and over. Uh, and f- the fact that this situation is already uh, uh, pervaded is just means that that continues in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason is because there's a focus on repeat founders that's uh, that's fairly unfair. When you think about it, every one of those repeat successful founders, folks who've started businesses in the past and, and successfully exited are, and are going on to a new venture, they eventually were, they previously were first-time founders to begin with at some point. And so the investors who passed on them because they weren't repeat founders at that point would have missed out on that transformational opportunity. Uh, and the third reason is uh, the composition of the venture capital teams themselves tends to tends to be fairly skewed uh, as well. Um, 92% of venture capital investment partners are white male. Hmm. So, uh, so the, the, those partners don't tend to see themselves in the, the see the opportunities in the, uh, the companies that they're reviewing. Um, how would you if you don't have the ba- the diversity of background represented at the table to review an opportunity for for its potential? So that's those three reasons tend to contribute, I think, mostly to this problem. So you founded Ascend Venture Capital six years ago. At that point, did you set out to consciously do things differently? Absolutely not. Actually, we were uh, we're founded simply on uh, on a on a thesis of a paradigm shift that's underway right now in which every company needs to become a data company overnight. Um, and crafting the investment decision itself to be as efficient and optimal, optimized as possible mm-hmm. meant that we uh, we crafted our deal, deal review process to be founder blind until we were fairly convinced in the process that, uh, uh, that the business is a good idea. And simply by doing it that way and how we do our deal sourcing as well, uh, that has meant that uh, a high proportion of our companies have have emerged as as great opportunities and uh, also happen to be founded by diverse teams. So you're saying you did this founder blind. You were evaluating the company just on its merits, and as opposed to just doing a handshake deal with some dude you already know, that's exactly that right. sort of opened things up. That's exactly right. Yeah, and now uh, we've made 18 investments, and uh, seven of them actually are are founded by diverse teams. Uh, and uh, and actually, when we dug into the numbers, it turned out that 62% of our deployed capital uh, had gone to those seven teams. So mm. the majority of our capital 
to those teams. And that's because we, uh, in the venture capital game, you tend to double down on your winners. Yeah. Well, that's exciting to hear how that has worked out so far for us. And, and Yinka, this is something that is pretty new to you. You've been there like a month and a week or two. (laughs) Um, You've been in law, you've been in politics, you've been in the nonprofit world. What made joining this firm appealing to you, getting into venture capital? Yeah. Well, venture capital is is such a huge part of what is creating the future of wealth and either equity or inequity in our society. Uh, The last 250 years of this country have seen mass inequity. And we have an opportunity to right the ship in this post-George Floyd era. And when I was wrapping up the campaign and I was thinking about how next do I best leverage the goodness of all of that, the 21-month process of campaigning. What do I do with that? And my North Star is impact at scale. And I began to see the power of venture capital to be a lever for creating equity economically. And that's what this is about for me. It's impact at scale. Uh, You know, for me personally, uh, you know, as you know, I'm a graduate of West Point. And we were a poor immigrant family growing up. We were not connected. We were not in the who's who. And so many uh, folks don't get that opportunity mm-hmm. uh, if, if they're not necessarily already in those societies where, where those opportunities present themselves. So I would have been, in venture capital speak, maybe a founder that would have been overlooked. Yeah. And, and so this resonates with me personally because I understand that there are so many stones that are not, uh, that are not turned over where there are brilliant folks with incredible ideas that will transform our society for the better if we only look there if we only give them the opportunity. So do you see your job in part as letting people know, hey, we're here, you know, come to us, we want to invest in you? Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. And and part of it is creating access into new communities where access did not previously exist. As you heard Dan say, 93%, 92-93% of partners of venture capital firms are men who are white. Yeah. And uh, those folks may not live in communities that I have had the opportunity to grow up in or may not know the people that I have had the opportunity to know, uh, et cetera, across all of my life experiences. So just, I mean, this is incredibly unusual to have uh, two partners who are, who are not men who are white. And so that opens up a whole spectrum of opportunity to folks who, who don't even have the access to venture capital who now will just because of who Dan and I are. And so, Dan, you're in addition to bringing on Yinka and really sort of making a, a play for this underserved market here, um, you're also starting this new opportunity fund. How is this going to work? So an opportunity fund traditionally is focused on doubling down on winners with a separate fund. Uh, and that's that's what the Ascend Opportunity Fund is set up to do as well. Uh, our It just so happens that many, many of our, our winners are are uh, founded by diverse teams. And so this fund is specifically geared to uh, provide additional opportunities to those teams. Uh, the uh, The way that it's the pattern has emerged is uh, as a micro VC with fi- less than 50 million in AUM, we... I'm sorry, what's AUM? Assets and Management. Thank you. <laughs> my apologies. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the way that we... Uh, have run our operations is to pass off the opportunity to invest in our our winners to our capital partners that, who have come to trust us for those opportunities, like uh, the big names in venture capital, like uh, Sequoia, Menlo, 
uh, founders, SoftBank, um, the the household names of venture capital who we who we uh, work with to uh, to provide our best uh, companies to for their their subsequent investment. But uh, we were finding that you know the opportunity to double down on these these winners would be great to have in house. So uh, so now we're bringing that opportunity to our our network. And are there? I mean, there's people with these funds that want to invest in this specific opportunity fund. That's exactly right. Yeah, there's a there's actually a lot of latent appetite uh, in this region, uh, and also burgeoning in the in the world for this type of fund. So, so Yinka, you have a lot of connections in St. Louis. That's what happens when you run for office as a Democrat. You tend to get to know everybody in town. This is a, a very Democratic town. Do you feel like there's a lot of companies in St. Louis um, that are ripe for what you guys are looking for? I think so. Uh, I, I think there's a a terrific uh, amount of appetite. Uh, from individuals, from high net worth uh, folks, from uh, corporations who see the opportunity, who, who, are, who are finally getting it and are looking for something like this. So I think the opportunity is great, not only in this region and, and across the state, but, but throughout this country. So then you get people coming to you and they say, you know, we want we want you to invest in what we're doing. We believe in what we're doing. How do you separate people who seem like they have a good idea from the people who really have a good idea? You've said you take an encyclopedic approach. How does that work, Dan? Oh, yeah. So we have uh, so the way that our deal review works is um, we take it as uh, uh, similar to how Michael Jordan used to. Uh, score an average of 40 points per game. He, when asked in interviews, he would say he breaks it down to smaller increments. Uh, you got to score 10 points a quarter. Uh, you've got to score a certain number of points per minute. But there isn't that much time in each quarter to to do that. So he had to uh, work to stop the clock and get to the the free throw line um, so that he could score that many points. We do the same thing. So. Uh, so we, uh, for every thousand companies that we look at, uh, we look at every single one, one by one, and uh, we'll end up talking to, reaching out to about seven or eight. Uh, at that point, that's when we really start being, uh, start to build a relationship with the founder. So um, of those 99% companies that get uh, get eliminated, uh, we are, you know, we're, we're finally starting to think that this is a, this is a, this company is a good idea before we talk to that founder. Um, and then of every seven or eight, we make a new investment roughly ever, every thousand companies. So this is really, I mean, you guys are going deep in the weeds That's on right. these, for these companies. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we literally review thousands and thousands of companies and I, I think there's no substitute for it, uh, in the private markets. There isn't that much information about, uh, every new company that's starting. So it's difficult to be able to know, uh, that a space is very busy with competitors, uh, and so that en- encyclopedic knowledge of what's a common theme among companies starting up uh, is is crucial. Hmm. Dan, I understand you've described yourself as a unicorn hunter. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so there are two ways to do venture capital. One is to uh, to try to con- t- try to build a portfolio of uh, of uh, doubles and triples, essentially, uh, to use the baseball. Uh, theme the um, just sort of solid performers right, that can yeah. make a small profit. That's exactly right. Yeah, um, and uh, so that tends to be a regional focus in uh, uh, in the Midwest specifically. Uh, so it's it's fairly rare to be looking for uh, moonshots, uh, and so that's essentially what we're doing. 
Uh, and uh, based on our, our track record so far, we've, we've been very successful at it. We have, so the rule of thumb generally is of 30 companies in a portfolio, generally you'll have maybe one that goes uh, 100x in valuation return. Um, and uh, of the rest, nine of them will be doubles and triples, and the rest will uh, return less than one uh, less than one dollar on every dollar invested. Uh, and so far, of our eighteen companies, we've we've seen three go uh, to home runs. Uh, we have shots that go for another two, and uh, we've only lost money on two. So hmm. uh, we're completely flip, flipping that model on its head, and I think that's a direct result from this uh, this encyclopedic approach. Yeah. So it feels like that strategy is really working. Um, that, that's exciting to hear. Yinka, you talked a little bit about why you were interested in getting into the venture capital world. What kind of impact do you think this fund can have and, and companies like this can have big picture looking ahead at, at the future of our country, at the future of this region? The, the opportunity is limitless. I mean, it's limitless, really. Uh, you know, uh, when we talk about the power of venture capital and you look at companies like Facebook and, and Snapchat and WhatsApp and all of these companies that are changing the game, all, these companies were at one point invested in by by VCs, yeah, and look at the effect that they've had on our lives, and we don't even know uh, what effect the current companies we have, uh, the the current ones that we believe will be home runs. I mean, it's limitless what this could do, and for the founders, their families, their communities, um, you know, there's a this is not one of our our companies, but it's been in the news lately. There's a woman who uh, runs a company called Slutty Vegan, and and it has done phenomenally well. She's based out of Atlanta. And what she's done is she's planted her her operations in communities that are traditionally underserved. So mm-hmm. the economic activity for those communities, it's life-changing. You're talking about people being able to work, to save money for college for their kids, to, to just to thrive where they wouldn't have had that opportunity prior. So this is a big deal. And, and as, as Dan said, and, and part of why we've seen the success that we've seen is, you know, most VCs kind of do it like uh, American Idol. <laughs> That's how most VCs do it. And they kind of invest in the same things over and over again. We kind of do it like The Voice. You know, we don't turn around until we love The Voice. And that's made all the difference. I love that metaphor, a singing competition in VC. I feel like I need to go watch The Voice to figure out how they do it. But I think I've gotten a glimpse of that today. Yinka Faludi, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah. And Yinka is um, now a partner at Ascend Venture Capital. He is also, of course, the former candidate for Missouri Secretary of State and the former executive director of Forward Through Ferguson. Dan Connor, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you. And Dan is the founder of Ascend Venture Capital, and he's also general partner there. This episode was produced by Danny Wissentowski with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. 
Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.